on the United States line, SS America, dear mother, at last I'm ready to depart for Europe. It has taken years of hard work to get this far, but I am nearing my ultimate goal. The boat leaves in about an hour. Tell them I'm going to do my best to be the first colored Olympic champion. Be sure to write. Bye-bye, D-Hart. Hi, everyone. Olivia here. Welcome to the first bonus episode of The Games Podcast. The Games Podcast, of course, focuses on the history of the modern games, but one of the beauties of podcasting is that it lends itself to become a platform for perspectives, a place where different views and ideas can be shared and discussed. In the off-season of the Games Podcast, as we wait for episodes covering the next Olympiad, we'll be able to get that diversity of thought through a few interviews. Now, I want you to know that these interviews have very minimal editing. I took out some ums and ahs here and there, but besides that, what you're going to hear is the same as if you heard the interview live. We'll kickstart this off-season with part one of a very special conversation with Mr. Ken Blackwell. Mr. Blackwell is a former mayor of Cincinnati, Ohio, and currently serves as a senior fellow for human rights and constitutional governance at the Family Research Council. He is a best-selling author and commentator, and he is also the great-nephew of the one and only DeHart Hubbard. At the 1924 Paris Games, DeHart Hubbard became the first African-American to win a gold medal in an individual event when he was crowned champion in the long jump. His time at the Games was marked by victory, disappointment, injury, and inspiration. Now, almost 100 years later, I had the honor of sitting down with Mr. Blackwell and learning more about the life and legacy of DeHart Hubbard. I'm so grateful for Mr. Blackwell's time and for the resources he provided, including some pictures of the 1924 Paris Games, which you can see on the Games Podcast Instagram and Facebook pages. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is part one of the DeHart Hubbard story with Mr. Ken Blackwell. Mr. Blackwell, thank you so much for joining me today on the Games Podcast. It's an honor to speak with you. If you could start by giving an introduction of who you are, what you do, and your ties to the Olympic Games. I am first and foremost a devout Christian. I have been married to my wife, Rosa, for 53 years, and we have uh, three children and three grandchildren. Our kids are uh, based in Texas. Ohio and Atlanta, uh, Georgia. We have been blessed. Uh, I'm a native Cincinnatian. She is a West Virginia a transplant. We came from working class of families uh, and we have been blessed. Uh, I have had the good fortune to be the mayor of my hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Rosa was Cincinnati Public Schools superintendent. Uh, and so I'm sure that we're the only couple uh, probably living or ever uh, to be uh, both mayor and 
a superintendent of the public school systems. And we've been we've been blessed and we've we've hoped that we've added value to the experiences of our citizens and our our, our students. Uh, I was a native native born Cincinnati and my my family had deep roots in Cincinnati and my tie to the Olympics, my tie comes from my mother's side of the family. My mother was uh, a Hubbard uh, and her father, Carlita, was the brother of D. Hart Hubbard. And D. Hart Hubbard was the first uh, Black American to win an Olympic gold medal in an individual event in track and field. And he did that in the 1924 games. Uh, and Uncle D. Hart uh, was always a model, uh, both to his family and my mom's generation, uh, as well as my generation and generations of Cincinnatians who, in fact, took great pride not only in his athletic ability, uh, but in his work ethic and his uh, his keen intellect. Uh, he was a serious, a serious student, uh, and uh, he was also a man of serious faith. Uh, and so uh, that combination of faith, a work ethic, a commitment uh, to family is sort of baked into our, our DNA. And so uh, that's my ties, tie to the Olympics. And uh, I'm proud of that uh, because uh, my uncle D. Hart uh, came through some, some challenging times. He, he was to... Uh, he had qualified uh, to compete in the 100-yard dash, the high hurdles, the long jump, and the hop, skip, and jump uh, uh, events. Uh, when he got to Paris, he was told that he could not uh, compete in the 100 and the high hurdles. He had been looking forward to running against uh, Eric Little. Uh, and and determining which one of the, the two of them was indeed the fastest human being on the face of the earth. Uh, and so it was with some great disappointment that he didn't get to compete. Uh, but he told my mom's generation and later my generation that God had blessed him because he was able to witness a strong dem demonstration of fidelity to faith. And he was taking note of uh, Eric Little's decision not to run in the finals of the 100-yard dash in 1924 uh, uh, because it fell on the Sabbath. And while he could have put his faith uh, on the sidelines and run to worldly glory, he in fact showed a tremendous fidelity uh, to his faith. And my uncle uh, D. Harp was said that as impressive as the gold medal win was for him, uh, the the lesson of life and commitment to faith was even a greater a greater honor and uh, award uh, for his in his competition. Wow, that must have been an amazing thing to to experience for sure. I want to I want to go back a little mm -hmm. with um, Mr. Hubbard's life. So. Was he always interested in sports? Where did that sports journey begin? And where did that, that journey take him? I know he went to the University of Michigan um, before going to the Olympic Games. So could you talk a little bit about his, his journey to the Games and into sports? 
Well, he was a, a neighborhood kid. He, he, he grew up uh, just playing in the neighborhood, working in the neighborhood. He had a, like I said, my, my uh, family, uh, and I've been blessed on both sides of my family, the Blackwells and the Hubbards, uh, have uh, a rich tradition of uh, a deep uh, and abiding work ethic. Uh, and so he he pitched papers. He he delivered papers when he was a when he was a young kid. But uh, he also competed in uh, neighborhood competitions and and elementary school uh, foot races uh, with his with his with his fellow students. Uh, but he was always a a serious student. He uh, was uh, able to uh, pass a, a, a test that. It gave him entry into the college preparatory school here in Cincinnati, Walnut Hills. Uh, and, and there he both pursued his academic studies and uh, he pursued uh, a variety of sports. He played on the football team and as a freshman uh, in one of the games, he ran five touchdowns. Uh, the Board of Education came out and they, in fact, uh, disqualified him. Uh, it's always been a mysterious, uh, 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 a mystery to a lot of people as to how they really did fix in their minds that this youngster was uh, was not eligible, but they, they made him ineligible. Uh, and one of the great experiences that uh, other graduates and historians of Walnut Hills High School have, have uh, repeated and, and told to now generations is that that entire team decided that if he doesn't play, they would just disqualify uh, and forfeit all of the rest of their games because they refused to play. And when you start to think about it, in the early you know, 1900s, you know, you had that sort of camaraderie uh, among the high school students that they forfeited their season uh, in protest uh, to the unfairness of my uncle's disqualification. Uh, that is one of the great stories in Cincinnati history, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, sir. Wow. That's, that's an amazing story. I mean, one, the fact that he was disqualified at all, but then the response to that, that's um, one of those uh, good coming out of, of uh, something less good. <laughs> yeah. And when, and when you think about it, that was in the early 1900s. Uh, and, right. and so uh, it, it, it showed that people, uh, youngsters, uh, who, you know, they, they didn't buy into uh, this, this notion that it's being advanced now with critical race theory. Uh, they understood my uncle's talents and his character. And that is what mattered to them. And it mattered enough that they were willing to sacrifice a season to make that point. And I think, again, it's one of the great moments in not only Cincinnati history, uh, but Walnut Hills High School history. Uh, And it has contributed, I think, uh, in generations of people uh, figuring out that it is more interesting and more productive to look at what unites us than what divides us. Yes, sir. 100%. So from, from his high school days, uh, Mr. Hubbard then went to the University of Michigan. And I, as I was kind of researching his background, I saw an interesting story about how he came to the University of Michigan. Um, 
from what I saw, it looked like he won a contest. Right. A, could you tell that story? Well, yeah, it's what, what I know in, in, in general terms is that there was a newspaper contest uh, that uh, that he he competed in and, 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 and won. And the publisher of the Cincinnati Enquirer was so impressed with his winnings that he, in fact, helped him to get a scholarship to the University of Michigan. Uh, the only thing that we lament here in Ohio was that uh, there wasn't that sort of commitment on the part of Ohio State University. <laughs> and an interesting aside, uh, because most people, they remember just E. Owens' great, great feats uh, in, the, in the 30s uh, and in the face of Hitler and Nazism on the world, on the world stage. Uh, but truth be known, uh, Jesse Owens considered my uncle one of his mentors. Uh, and when I was treasurer of the state of Ohio and they were celebrating or and rededicating the track at Ohio State to Jesse Owens, he had, he had passed, but his wife was there. And his wife told uh, us that uh, uh, he was a great admirer of, of my uncle he knew what he had gone through in the 1924 Olympics. And again, let I go back and, and say that when, although he didn't compete in the Olympics, he did set the world record in the 100-yard dash in 1925. You know, and so uh, uh, he knew how, how good he was. And he, in fact, he used to say he got a double uh, blessing. He, he, he set the world record uh, in 1925, and he got to experience uh, Eric Little's fidelity to our faith uh, in 1924. And so he, he thought, yeah, and he got the gold in the long jump. He said, you couldn't ask for more. <laughs> right. It's, it's an amazing uh, sporting career alone. Um, and so I want to, I do want to touch on this. Um, since you talked about Jesse Owens and and your uncle's influence on him, um, in 1908 there was a gentleman named uh, John Baxter Taylor, who uh, was an African American, uh, John Baxter Taylor Jr., and he was the first to win an Olympic medal, Olympic gold medal, because he ran in a medley race. Um, I think he ran the mm -hmm. 400 meter leg of that of that mm -hmm. medley race. Mm -hmm. um, and so my, my first question is, uh, did Mr. Hubbard know about Taylor's story, kind of that generational, um, just as Jesse Owens learned of your uncle's story, did Mr. Hubbard know of Taylor's story? Was, um, was I, he aware I, of that? I, I, I think he did. Um, it, it wasn't something that we, we talked about, but subsequently, um, what I've, and I will make sure that for your library, I, I get it to you. Uh, a Hispanic uh, American historian from the West Coast uh, had a bank of pictures of uh, the uh, Olympic team on the, the, the ship that took them, the transatlantic ship uh, that, that took them to the games. And um, he has been able to go a little deeper than even the members of our family into 
the conversations on that ship uh, because he did a deep dive. There were uh, uh, several Hispanic, uh, I think, boxers uh, and other athletes on the ship that had befriended my uncle. Uh, and they talked and then they were able to talk to uh, this historian. Um, um, he, yes, my, my uncle was a great, he was a great um, student of history, not only of world history and American history, but uh, Olympic history, uh, because he, he, he always visioned uh, crossing a finish line or setting a record. He, he, he told us there was always uh, to, to be able to envision what you want to uh, achieve. So he, he learned from history. So yes, I, I'm sure he knew about that part of uh, uh, Olympic history, uh, but it, it wasn't something that we, we talked about. And, and surprisingly, uh, beyond the, the big story of Eric Little and their exchange and their inability to compete against one another, in the 1924 Olympics, I, I got more from my uncle when he came back from the Olympics, uh, having achieved what he had at Michigan uh, and the University of Michigan and the Olympics. When he came back to Cincinnati, uh, the, the only job that he could get was as an associate with the Cincinnati Recreation Department. But, you know, he was always a proponent of you do what you can with what you have where you are. Uh, and so he expanded not whole baseball into the black communities of Cincinnati. Uh, and he became uh, the founder of the Cincinnati Tigers and one of the founders of the American Negro Baseball League. Uh, and he had invested not only in the Tigers, but in the Indianapolis Clowns. Uh, and so all of the, the greats, uh, like Satchel Page, that played in those leagues uh, were associates of my, of my uncle. And they sort of looked up to him as an athlete who had accomplished a, 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 a world, uh, <clears throat> a gold medal and a world record. Uh, and so I actually, actually learned more uh, from his association with Satchel Page <laughs> than I did some of the other greats that he had associated with or learned from uh, starting back in the 1908 games. Wow. Wow. It's, I mean, his career, his career in the games is amazing, but his career after is, I mean, what a life. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, but it, it really does, you know, you, you learn from history and in great moments of history, but you have to understand that history is a process. It is, you know, you can take a snapshot, uh, but don't get locked into that, slot, that, that snapshot because history uh, is, 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 is a process. Uh, and, and, and so his, his whole thing was learning from the, the little quips and sayings of, 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 of Satchel Page and others. Uh, but in, in Satchel Page's wisdom, I, 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 I lean on a, a quote to help people uh, in, engage in, in the moment of history to, to, to advance history. Satchel Page 
he talked about two things in, in, in terms of baseball that just fascinate, fascinate me. In baseball, you know, you, 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 you're on first base and you can, you can steal second base, you know, but you got, you had to time it right. You have to, you have to break and you have to beat the throw to second base. Well, he always would say it is very, and I'll make sure I say this uh, in an appropriate way, because I think he had a little more earthy language. He, he said, it is very difficult to steal second base if you want to keep one foot on first. You know, and, and so you, sometimes you have to make a break for freedom. You know, you, you, you have to be, you, you can't be so comfortable in what the psychologists call homeostasis, you know, which is a, a, a comfort of equilibrium. Sometimes you have to take a risk. You have to take a risk and you have to make a break for second or a break for freedom. Uh, and and that, was, that was something that has helped me in all of my 73 years. You know, that you can't get comfortable with injustice. You, you can't take a, a, a turn a blind eye uh, to just mass, you know, hysteria. Uh, and, 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 and so that was one. The other, which helps me understand history and, and forward movement in history, is that he said, you know, don't look back. You're not running in that direction. <laughs> you know, you can you can get so locked in looking back. You know, and we now talk about looking in the rearview mirror that you you miss the opportunities and the runway that's in front of you. Uh, and so, as we learn from my uncle uh, and our, our our fathers, the the Hubbards and Blackwells. Uh, from my generation, you know, we we've always uh, appreciated uh, the, the 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 words that Uncle D. Hart and our fathers spoke, and that was, you know, that the the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence captures what has made this a unique country, you know, and that is that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, which means that our fundamental human rights are not grants from government, they're gifts from God. And so we have to be focused. We cannot allow government to become or replace God. We have to understand that the founders of our, of our country put a restraint on the reach and muscularity of, of, of government because they knew what Aristotle understood. And, and that was that there is a dynamic tension between the organized power of the state uh, and individual liberty. The more muscular, the more powerful, uh, the more concentrated power is in the state, uh, the less chance that you have for individual liberty to flourish. And so we, we have always appreciated you know, if you frame that with what Lincoln said, that this country is not perfect, but it is perfectible. And it is, its greatness is not from great government, it's from good people doing great things together. And so I appreciate that in 245 years, 
we've gone from the institution of slavery to electing uh, Barack Obama president. Even if I didn't agree with Barack Obama, you know, it showed the great progress in this country. But you could go across the country and you can see uh, people of color who have been elected to governorships, mayorships, you know, etc. And so we're not locked into, you know, the antebellum South. We are a long way from that. And yes, can we do better? Yep. But it takes people standing in the gap, the gap between the idea and the practice. The, and if you can, in fact, improve the practice in the moment, it gets us closer to the ideal uh, and, and, and our, 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 our greatness. And we have constantly gotten better and better and better. And what people don't understand who, 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 who can't stay locked into 1619, you know, we can't cancel out 1776. We in fact must understand that there's been a lot of progress and another uniqueness in the idea that's America. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I, so I'm, I'm thinking about today um, mm-hmm. and there have been, I mean, over the, the course of the Olympic history is this idea of national representation, right? You have to go through a national Olympic committee. You have to compete as part of a, of a nation. And Throughout its history, there have been issues with that, whether it's an Irish athlete who's told he has to compete as if he was British um, or um, sometimes, you know, Americans who don't feel like they want to compete as American or represent America. Um, So I want to know, because 1924, America in 1924 is very different. I mean, almost 100 years Mm -hmm. ago, it's very different from 2021. Mm -hmm. And so... What was Mr. Hubbard's thoughts and feelings about representing America, going to the Olympic Games as an American and on a global stage representing America? Well, how, how did he feel about that? He wrote his mom on, on that ship, and it was great pride. One, he wanted and he understood that uh, he was competing in events uh, where that where his individual talent would be tested and measured. But he also understood that he was representing uh, the United States of America. Uh, and again, he appreciated the, the, the notion that we're not perfect, but we are perfectible and we have made great progress and even in 1924 when compared you know to 1824 yeah, and, and so uh he, it was it was that sort of pride and you know my my, my uncle was a well, like I said he was a he was a, an astute student of of history uh not only american history but 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 world history uh, and he understood uh, that there was a real difference between our form of government uh, and individual liberty and, and, and that of other, other countries. 
Uh, and so, um, look, I, I, I can only go from his, his letter to his mom and then what he shared with, 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 with us that while he understood that he was competing as an individual, he was representing uh, our nation and that he was part of a larger team. So this was, this wasn't, you know, today there are so many folks who are so self-centered uh, that they, they, they lose sight of their representing a country I'll sound like a broken record. While not perfect, it's been perfectible and it's gotten better and better and better because good people have done great things together. And it is that uniqueness, that exceptionalism of the American experience that he understood that he was representing. I, without, without, without question from conversations with him, uh, from his his writing of personal notes, he was he was he like George H. W. Bush. He was a great writer of per personal notes, you know. So, um, and, and what's fascinating to me is that beyond my generation and his grandchildren's generation, my youngest daughter and her cousins, who are his direct uh, uh, great 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 grandchildren um they are in fact doing their their own documentary oh wow on, on his life uh and you know the the clooney's as in george and nick and and other uh, they have in fact shown an interest in doing something around his experience as part of a a, a documentary that they're doing uh for the 100th uh, anniversary of the 2019-24 games in, in three years. I will definitely be on the lookout for that. That mm -hmm. sounds fascinating. I, I wondered if, if you know, and that's okay if you don't, but um, so we, we talked a little bit about Mr. Hubbard's experiences and his feelings going towards the games and, and the road to the games. Um, what was his family's, the, the broader family's um, feelings about him going to Paris to represent the games? Was it, um, were there mixed emotions for traveling well, to Paris or? What, what, what I, no, I, I think there was, there was great family pride. Uh, but I, I will tell you <laughs> that almost on a, on the same level uh, was their pride in his personal achievement as a student. <laughs> uh, his, his father uh, was a chauffeur. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, my grandmother was a domestic, you know, and, and so while he, was doing great things academically and athletically. Uh, it was it was a work ethic that that everybody appreciated, you know. And so those folks who were still doing blue collar work, you know, they knew that what he shared with them was a work ethic and and, and a commitment uh, to faith. Uh, and, 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 
that is what they celebrated. And, and uh, you know, I think it was some great disappointment uh, because in a much more uh, uh, friendly manner, uh, I think there had been some transatlantic, transatlantic, you know, back and forth as to which one of uh, the two of them, Eric Little or my uncle, was really the fastest human being on the face of the earth. So I think you know it was it was it was a letdown when he, when he was told by the International Olympic Committee that uh, the hundred and the high hurdles were white only events. Hmm. Now I, I tell you one of the most exciting things <laughs> for well, for for my for my for my mom was that the 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 folks who put together chariots of fire. Uh, they came and they researched and they researched and they talked to her. They talked to her for hours and hours. And then when we saw the film, all they showed was him warming up <laughs> in the jump pit. And she it, 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 she said it in a different way, but it boiled down to, is that all there is? <laughs> oh man! Oh. You know, and so I, I think I, I think some of that is fuels uh, the. Uh, my my youngest daughter and her cousins, his his uh, his his grandchildren, uh, it fuels uh, his. Um, I mean, his great grandchildren uh, fuels their desire to get this done. Uh, they're they're going to work if the Clooney's do their thing. They're going to work with the Clooney's. Uh, they'll work with anybody. Um, I'm trying to make sure that I get the coordinates right with the uh, the historian out on the West Coast because they're they're hungry for more information. I, I must say they're they're even hungrier than we were for for information and 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 so um, uh, commitment to 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 faith and family, uh, the work ethic. Uh, and you know I, look when he when my dad came back from World War II, there was a housing shortage in Cincinnati and there were still vestiges of uh, segregation. And so we lived in a public housing community for the earlier part of my life, uh, which was about a mile from City Hall. Uh, when I was living in that public housing community, little did I know that at one day I would be uh, the mayor of the city working out of City Hall, which was a mile from where uh, we were being raised. Uh, but it never crossed my mind that I couldn't, <laughs> uh, because that was that was part of the Hubbard Blackwell legacy. Uh, no matter what the moment the st your station was in the moment. That, that history is is a flow, uh, and that you can change it, you can direct it uh, through your own human agency and through a community effort, and and we we witnessed that. This concludes part one of my conversation with Mr. Ken Blackwell. Tune in next week for part two. 
Thanks for listening to The Games Podcast. The intro music is from Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man. The sound effects, transitional music, and theme song are from zapsplat.com. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, or any episode of The Games, feel free to reach out via the WordPress site, thegamespodcast.wordpress.com. You can also reach out on Instagram by searching at The Games Podcast, and on Facebook by searching The Games Podcast. Bonus material is posted to Instagram and Facebook, so be sure to follow The Games Podcast while you're there. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you could share it with your friends or leave a rating or a review. It means a lot. Thanks for listening and see you next time.